right. Snap your fingers. Snap some fingers if you're with me. <laughs> what do you mean? I said snap your fingers if you're with me. Here's a question I have for you, genuinely. Mm. Do you think that these curtains make a difference at this point? <laughs> well, oh. not if they're open. And now, a word from our sponsors. Something you don't know about me, Quinn. Tell me. I get really sweaty. Oh, I I think you think I don't know that about you, but I know that about you. Pit stains, always, every day. Especially when I'm telling you a scary story. I gotta say that I sweat straight through this shirt just now. (laughs) Do you see this? You don't. It's black. It's black for a reason, because I don't want you to see... Both of us are wearing black because of ours. Because when we record, I sweat so much. Listen, do you want to wear colors again? I'd love to. Listen, we've got a great product for you. This is Carpe. It's an antiperspirant. Carpe was created by dermatologists for... Well, us sweaty people. Um, It has maximum effectiveness. It combines clinical and natural ingredients. And obviously, since it was designed by dermatologists, it is dermatologists recommended. Right now, limited time, they're doing free U.S. shipping. So you should go to mycarpe.com to purchase your own. They have antiperspirant for underarms, for hands, for For feet. feet. If you, too, have a problem with sweat, no need to sweat it. Go to mycarpe.com and use the code TRULYDARKLY to save 15% and stop sweating today. Carrie. Gwen. You remember I wrote like a fun, quirky, interactive puzzle, paranormal mystery? Uh, yeah, I do. So for the holiday season, um, I took one of the shows that we had done IRL in real life and I made it virtual. Wait, it's, it's, is it the one that I've seen? Yes. So it's A Mediocre Life is the name of it because, frankly, it is. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're absolutely not wrong. Well, this one's really cute. I mean, I wrote it, but I can tell you it's cute. It's fun. It's, I've been on it IRL and it's super cute. So the virtual one, it's an hour long. You can do it with almost any size group of people and you're basically helping an elf played by one of our comedians get back their bells by solving a series of puzzles and clues and you kind of are taken into this make-believe world where you meet a bunch of weird zany characters and I think it's frankly it's adorable it's a cute way to spend uh, the holiday season if you're looking for a way to virtually connect with family or if you're looking for a cool sort of team building thing to do with your office you can book the show at Purple Crayon Immersive and and if you let us know that you found out through Truly Darkly Creeply, a.k.a. me, we're going to give you uh, 20% off if you let us know. Whoa! Yeah, it's a, it's a big discount. That's a big discount. For a big party. Party. Go see It's a Mediocre Life because it's going to make your life way better than mediocre. Um, okay, dear readers, hi, we're back. I've been gone. We haven't recorded because some stuff came up in my life. You're not going to say? Well, I lost, well, I don't know. My cousin listens and I don't know how much, you know. I I think it's okay to say Carrie's aunt passed. I'm not trying to jump, I mean, death is. We talk about it all the time. 
Yeah. It's a thing that happens, and it happened. Yeah. So my family, I might cry talking about it just because I, yeah, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. My aunt passed, and I went home, and I was with my family, which is exactly where I wanted to be. Um, but it's been hard. Oh, my yeah. God. It's been hard. Yeah. Um, she was a huge part of your life. She was a huge part of our lives. And I, so I just want to say to all of you dear readers out there, if you're going through something, you're not alone, you're loved, I'm so sorry. I don't know what else to say to that, but you are loved, you're not alone, and I'm so sorry. That's really nice. That's what I want to say. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we all have been through, everyone goes through it if they haven't already, losing someone oh, they love. It's, it fucking sucks. It was so funny. My cousin, we were talking, we were going through pictures, and I was crying, and she looked at me, and she goes, it's like really sad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really so surprisingly sad having this been, person I love die. It sucks. It was, and you know, my mom, it was my mom's birthday is today. And it's her sister. And I talked to her yesterday and I was like, mom, what do you want? Like, I was like, I want to give you whatever you want. And she was like, I want my sister back. Oh my God. Yeah. So sad. Well, and I'm sorry if I strong-armed you into talking about it. I truly think, though, I have kind of a thing where I'm like, I think it's weird that death, we've talked about it before, obviously there's a lot of pain and a lot of grief associated with losing someone, but there's also, I think it's, there's something weird and um, British about not talking about it where it's this right. thing where it's like yes it's so messy and it's right. but it's I don't know I think also to be a parent you're always sort of taught like to honor where your kid's coming from with feelings and to not yeah. teach them that it's you know to not stigmatize crying to not stigmatize right. that kind of stuff and then we are in a world where depression is so stigmatized and right. there are certain feelings that we kind of tell everybody those are not for public consumption feelings. Right. And I just want you to know that you're in a safe space. I mean, you're in a room with way too many curtains. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think too is like, because I look to my mom and my cousins and my uncle and I'm like, that's their mom, that's their sister. But she was a really important person in all of our lives. And I'm really lucky to have had her as an aunt because she was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much laughter too like when we were going through it there was so much you know so funny my cousin was like I haven't really listened to your podcast lately and I go why what's up what happened <laughs> and it was like those moments of like just laughter at the absurdity of loss right like that has been I mean I look back at these old videos and I'm just dying of laughter based because of who she was and yeah, and I, they asked me to sing at her celebration of life, which was maybe the hardest thing. I can't believe you made it done. through the song. I closed my eyes. I sang "You've Got a Friend" by Carol King. I don't know how you did any element of that. No, I like, don't either. The getting up and not just breaking down, and then the starting to sing such a beautiful emotional song that I know you love. Yeah. And, and not she loved down. It was. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was. It was so funny. I was like, I'm just closing my eyes. So I closed my eyes and I sang it. And, you know, at one point I opened them and I like saw my cousin and I was like, oh, got to close it again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I just couldn't make eye contact with anyone. Yeah. I probably looked like a, 
like a, I don't know, you can't see because it's not a visual medium. It's very cute what she's doing. Eyes closed, just like sing with the mic. Um, Yeah, but the holidays are upon us now. And so it's like, you know, I just want to support all the loved ones, you know, and be a family right now. Absolutely. So that's what's been going on in my life. You know what? I told you this. I think that what Amy Schumer does on her podcast, when someone brings up um, a death, someone that what did she say? She says, sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. And I think she always does it like three times. I um, like that. But that makes sense to me because it's genuine and it's combining some humor with it which it is when we feel these strong strong emotions other ones leak in and it is the absurdity of grief is very real and sometimes it can strike you as very funny almost because totally you're like what a wild what a powerful feeling how does this work right like how do how do you how does this work moving like how how does life work now you know it's like so I got to tell you, we went to a long time ago with Jamila. I went to a really cool, I guess you would call it an experience or an art installation in the city. And what it was, was 12 maybe different areas where they were showcasing um, different cultures, what they do when someone dies. Right. So you'd go into an area and they'd wear the appropriate um sort of outfit or costume or whatever that might look like. A costume. Well, sometimes it was, some of them were very scary in appearance and jarring. It would be like someone wearing um, an outfit that had like a giant scary bird mask or something and chanting. And it would be very, like, it would strike you as scary. There was one room where I can't remember the culture, but it, where they cry very hard and loud. Yes. They'd have mourners that do that. And they have that. hired mourners that come in. And, like, the law, the higher, the harder you cry, the more beloved this was. It's, like, a way to, you know, honor their memory. Yeah. And show how awesome they were. <laughs> so you'd you walk into a room and you'd be immersed in the experience of oh, what this wild. culture does in relation to their belief around death or how you should mark a death. Yeah. And some of it is... I think what was so interesting is you'd walk into a room and you'd feel, you'd start crying. You'd walk into another room and you'd almost want to laugh. You'd walk into another room and you'd feel scared. And there were all these, it sort of spoke to me as just like, we all don't even know what the fuck to do with this. And we know it's important because it's the cycle of life. And Well, that's the thing that you keep going back to is you're like, well, this is going to happen to all of us. Like, we're all going to get there. We're all going to lose someone we love. Um, and, but I had a friend also tell me, she goes, you know what? Sometimes just painful, let it be painful. Like it doesn't have to be, because it's, your mind does this thing where you like grapple with it. You don't, you, you try to make sense of it. You try it like the way grief works. I think it's like you, every feeling comes up, anger, rage, like everything, you know? So it's a, it's really, um, that's a really interesting place you went. And of course, like to have these like microcosms of grief based on different cultures, I think is really fascinating. And the idea that any of it seemed strange was in it of itself strange because I'm like, 
well, what do we do? We like lower a box, you know, I thought about we lower a box into the ground and we right. all wear black and maybe we like say something together. Maybe we throw dirt. There are like, everything is strange. Every way <laughs> that any culture does, it seems strange mostly because it's like, is there something right to do? No, there's nothing right totally. to do. I also think too is the service for my aunt was beautiful. It was so beautiful. Like it was all of my, you know, her siblings, her family saying wonderful things about her. And it was truly a celebration of her life. And that was so wonderful, you know, to be with people who love her and to share that with everyone. Um, But I think it also is a reminder to like tell the people when they're around too, you know? Um, And we did. Ugh. But yeah. <laughs> you did. She felt very loved, I yeah, think. Yeah, she did. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's so confusing. It's really confusing and hard, but it's interesting, like, we're all going to go through it. Yeah. 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 It just was, <laughs> you know, anyway. I think the strange thing is that it could happen to you tomorrow. You could lose another person that means this much. No, thank you. Hard pass. But you would not feel any more prepared. No. It, practice does not make perfect with this stuff <laughs> totally. is the thing about it. Totally. And you Although know, I think there are professional grief counselors, I wonder if they're very good. I don't know what very good means, <laughs> yeah. but I think it might just mean being like, I'm okay with where I'm at. Totally. Would be what that is. Totally. Death plagued our family before I was born. There was a time when my parents just got married. They lost three immediate family members in three years. Like, back to back. I can't imagine. And so, by the time I came along, my family, like, we, this is, this is, you know, probably the most profound loss in my life thus far. So... You know, I've always, I've always feared it, and it sucks. <laughs> we'll you were right to the fear it. The reviews are back. It sucks. <laughs> one the star. reviews are in. If you could give Hard it no pass. stars, you would. But <laughs> if I could one give star. It, no, it's half a star. Half a star. Well, I'm glad you talked about it. Thanks. I think it's better too. I think it's always better to talk about it. I just, you know, when I talk about personal. Th- matters you know I just want to make sure I'm doing it with care um and I don't want to feel like I'm being exploitative of anybody in my life do you know what I mean like I think that's a big part of it by the way you're listening to truly darkly creepily I'm Quinlan Posner and I'm Carrie Epema and we do have a couple people to thank would you like to I don't know if you're in a headspace to make music you know what where there's loss there's music let's fucking go let's do this thing how about Rachel (gasps) Rachel Rachel Rachel, 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 Rachel. You joined Patreon. You definitely joined. We know it's a fact. You definitely joined. We know it's a fact. We would never lie to you. We would never lie. Oh, no, no. We would rather die too no, soon. No, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a chaotic intro. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to editing this. Nor should you be, frankly. It's also frankly. like, can I make us seem normal? Never. That's always the question I have going into editing, and then I'm like, give up. 
<laughs> give up. <laughs> give up. <laughs> well, here's what I want to say. What I want to say is, I think we should begin. Okay. I'm going to do the story of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Great. Do you know it? No. No? Um, is this the factory? I mean, I think I do. I mean, I think a lot of people died. And there was a, a lot fire, of people died. And they were, like, ignoring fire codes. That's what I know. So that's what you know. So I did, uh, last weekend, my friend was visiting from out of town, and... I wanted to see her, and she's like, "We're doing this ghost tour in the village," and I was ghost ghost tour in the village, and I was like, oh, "Wow, great, I'm there." <laughs> oh, you got to go? So I went on it. Are you fucking kidding and me? And so I got the stories that next. I'm like, so jealous. The next couple of stories are going to be from that tour. Tour. Oh, I fucking love that. So the I got this information from Wikipedia, History.com, Smithsonian, OSHA.gov, American Hauntings, and the Massasoit. Library. Don't you want to promo the tour? What's the tour company? The tour is Ghost Tours. It was on TripAdvisor. Go see it. <laughs> Go Today. see it. It was, the tickets were $36. It wasn't as spooky as I wanted, I'll be frank, but like I learned a lot. Did you want And I was like, I was like, great, I get, like, it just was research. Right, right, That's right. That's a write-off, baby. Did you want um someone to sneak up on you or something? A little. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like, he was like, here's the exterior of the house off from I Am Legend. And I was like, I can't talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> Come on, give me some fucking What if you did? did? What I if you were like, that. my story is the exterior of the house from I Am Legend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a house. Shingles. <laughs> bricks. It's actually bricks. Okay. It's a brick. Okay, so the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory is in Greenwich. It's right off of Washington Square Park. So it's actually... Spoiler alert, it's now owned by NYU. It's one of the NYU Arts and Sciences buildings, and it's still in use today. Oh. So it's in our home. T- it's in where we It's in the town in which we live. We can visit it if you wanted to. I'm good. But in 1911, it was called the Ash Building, A-S-C-H, but a little foreboding. So it's 10 floors high, and the... Shirtwaist Factory, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, was owned by these two guys, Mark Blank and Isaac Harris. Now, they're like a part of the Industrial Revolution. They're really taking advantage of the blind spots within our labor situation, and they're basically running a sweatshop, right? It's like the... So shirtwaists, just so you know, are like blouses... And they were mass producing them. And the people that were mass producing them were immigrant, typically women, from ages like 14 to 43 years old. They were um, Italian and Jewish immigrants from the Lower East Side. They worked insane hours. They worked nine hours a day with like no breaks. And then they worked seven hours on Sundays. They had to bring their own sewing machine. Are you kidding me? And they were like... That shit's f- not easy to carry around, by no, the way. and back in 1911, it probably was even worse to carry It's like a pump pedal on. one. They're like <laughs> on dollies. Totally. Calling them in. So they're like bringing in their own fucking equipment. And so... They later went on to work for LuLaRoe. <laughs> Truly. Huh. So they had... Oh, God, that's so dark that the descendants of this could possibly have been duped by LuLaRoe. Oh, God. That actually is truly a horrifying thing to think of. Um, so the women... And, you know, you probably have seen images when you learned about the labor movement in, you know, the early 1900s. It was like they were just rows of women working, working, working. Um they made between 7 and $12 a week. 
Now you think, oh, what is that in today's wages? Well, that is um, about $200 a week. 200, it was like 191 to $327 a week for like that much hours. Nine hours a day, seven hours on Sunday. You make like $200 a week in today's money. I'm not liking it. We're not loving it. No. Um, so it's Saturday, March 25th, 1911. It's 4.40 p.m. in the afternoon. It's a Saturday. On the eighth floor was the cutting floor. And they had a big wooden bin with extra scraps from the, of fabric that they had cut. And it's in this bin, and apparently the workers couldn't take smoke breaks, couldn't take any breaks. So one of them, they would like sneak cigarettes on the floor. And someone discarded what they thought was an extinguished cigarette in the in fabric the bin. And you know what it reminds me of? Hmm. The video they that surfaced of the guy peeing on while he was working at Amazon because of how they deal with bathroom breaks. Right. He's on the line, like in the factory. Yeah. And he just like sneaky pulls out his dick and starts peeing while he's working because like he can't afford to take that bathroom break jesus christ okay <sighs> anyway i hate it i hate it i hate it okay Sorry so this scrap bin was not disposed of regularly in fact this scrap bin the last time it was disposed of was two months ago so the amount of scraps from thousands of shirts they're making there's like 600 people working in this factory right Thousands of pounds of fabric is in this. The cigarette goes in, it ignites, it fucking jumps, it blazes. Whoa. So the manager goes and tries to get a hose, but the hose has been like rusted shut, so the hose doesn't even work. By that time, it's like five minutes in. This fire is spreading. There's hanging fabric. There's everywhere. The only thing that's not getting melted or that's not burning is like the metal, but even that's melting. It's horrifying. So on the eighth floor, they're able to call up to the tenth floor, which is the executives, and they're able to say, hey, we have a fire down here. The fire spreads so fucking quickly, Quinn. On the tenth floor, they're like, oh shit, there's a fire. They go up to the roof. Now the roof is, it's a stone building, so they're able to be protected, and there's an adjacent building that they're jumping, you know, to, so they're protected on the roof. However, the ninth floor, there's not an alarm system, there's there's not a phone system. Nobody notifies the ninth floor that there is a fire until the flames go from the staircase up to the ninth floor. Now, so the fire alerts them. The fire alerts them at the same time. Someone's like, hey, there's a fire. And they're like, uh, no fucking shit. I, I can see that. So the fire spreads so fast and people are just trying to get out. So exits. There are four elevators in the building. However, only one is working and can take 12 people at a time. Mm -hmm. There are two staircases. One goes out to the street. The other was locked because it wanted to prevent theft from the factory as well as taking unapproved breaks. So (laughs) people go down the stairwell and also the door opened in. So people go down. They're banging on the door. The door is locked. When the fire is all out, they, f- they see people are crushed to death and also burned alive because they couldn't escape the building. Aye. The foreman who had the keys escaped the other way. And it's locked to not to make sure they can't take a break. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. Yeah. Or steal clothes or whatever. Oh, but like, shit. it's locked. The foreman who has the keys went the other direction. 
And it, the panic was so much that people got crushed to death because the door didn't open out of the building. It opened into the building. So even if they locked it, they would have to, you know. No sprinklers in the whole building. The fire department is called. They're trying to reach the eighth floor. Their ladder only goes up to the seventh floor. The fire department's ladder does not reach the fire, the building. What? I don't understand how the fire department doesn't have what they need to fight fires. In lieu of building a third staircase for code, the owners built this fire escape. However, it was in such disrepair, it was horrible, that 20 people got on the fire escape from the ninth floor. The heat warped the metal and it buckled and all 20 people fell to their death. It got to a point... So people are just dying all over the place for different fucked up reasons. Most of the people that were on the ninth floor ended up jumping. Oh my god. The elevator goes up three times but because of the heat it buckles it can't go up. And finally, women start jumping on the elevator shaft, trying to slide down the cables or do something. And then what happens? Does that work for anybody? No. The weight of the people jumping are like pounding the roof of the elevator, so it can't even move now. It can't do anything. So people on the streets are hearing people pounding on that door, trying to get out, but it's locked. They can't get in. The first person who decided to jump from the building was a man. Then there are the stories of witnesses, people, I mean, this is a busy place in New York City at the time. People are walking by and seeing this fire and people jumping to their death. Oh my God. Fire department is trying to get safety nets to catch people, but the weight of the bodies are breaking the nets. There was one where it caught it caught someone, but then two women fell on top of her. It was a little, it was a 13-year-old. I want to make sure. There was a 13-year-old on the building holding on by her fingertips. The firemen were underneath her trying to catch her with the rope. The fire came. She let go. They catch her in the net, but two women fell right on top of her and killed her in the net. There were stories of what people saw jumping. People saw a man kissing a woman, and then they both jump. There were five girls that jumped together and fell through one of the cellar basements from the jumping. Another girl jumped. Her dress gets tangled in wires, and she was suspended in the air, so people see her. Her dress is burning where it burns off, and she falls to her death. There was a man on the ninth floor just throwing women out of the window, and then he himself jumped, and they're not sure if he thought the firemen were catching them or if he was just trying to ease their suffering so they weren't being burned alive. Bertha Weirout, she jumped feet first. She was found still breathing. Oh, no, no, no. The crowd cheers. They put her in an ambulance. She dies minutes later. This all happened in 18 minutes. Are you kidding me? That's how fast the fire spread. And how fast these people are, like, deciding how they're going to die. They 
still go, go, I choose this. Terrifying. 146 people die. Oh my God. 123 women and 23 men. The oldest was 43 years old. The youngest were 14. And these are immigrants, right? These are people that don't speak the language and have come here. And so then it becomes identifying them, right? I mean, these people died from, 49 people died from the fire or smoke inhalation. 26 people died in the elevator shaft. 58 people jumped to the sidewalks. 58 people jumped. What does that even... There was stories about girls, like there was a there was a cord or a rope or something and they tried to swing into another building but the it broke like people were just doing anything in their power there were human bridges that were trying to be built there was like i mean people were from like adjacent buildings it is like truly a feat of survival and people just because there were no safety precautions the fire department couldn't get their ladder to the window to even get people out like what a horrible it's horribly Did they tragic save anybody I mean, 500 people work, so yeah, I mean, I don't think they saved anyone from the building. I mean, if people went out that one stairwell or went up to the roof, the majority of the death, I think, was in the ninth floor, because in the eighth floor, people knew, but again, that one escape hatch, yeah, that one escape door, Mm-mm. the bodies were lined up on the streets, and they were put in coffins, and family members had to come and claim them based on trinkets, because some of their bodies were deformed. And they were burned. Some people lost their entire family. They lost their wife and their child. Like, they lost everyone. It was horrifying. And shortly after New York City, like, hundreds of thousands of people went and protested the working conditions. And what happened? The tragedy that all these girls and women and, you know, I mean, all these people suffered. Um... Six victims remain unidentified. They just didn't have family or friends or anything. They, nobody knew who they were. So they're in unmarked graves. Or maybe the people that knew them died that day. Totally. You Absolutely. could totally see where it'd be like a whole family going to work together there. Of course. It's one of the deadliest industrial disasters ever. So then it becomes who's culpable, right? Fires were really common in the um, garment industry because what would happen was is these these owners of these businesses would burn down their factory and take the insurance payout. Mm-hmm. And um, this happened a lot of times. Like if something became out of fashion, they'd burn their whole stock and be like, it was a fire and the insurance company would pay them out. This was like a pretty common practice mm-hmm. back then, which is why there were no sprinkler systems in, because you didn't want to have any precautions in case you wanted to torture place. Mm-hmm. They don't think this was that situation, but it definitely is a circumstance where that practice negatively affected this because they just didn't have the right fire protocols Mm -hmm. in place. In fact, Blank and Harris, the owners of this company, they had four previous fires at other factories. That, (laughs) okay. So, and they didn't change how they were dealing with this building? Well, they did the fires intentionally previously to get the insurance. What? Mm Mm-hmm. 
that's what I just said. These people would burn their factories so they get insurance patent. Like if, the, if they had an excess of stock or inventory or their clothes like came out of style, they'd burn it down and be like, oh my gosh, our, our thing burned down. So all the other ones you were saying that were proven to have been... Not proven, but the fact okay. is, is that these people were... Because if they were proven, Did they wouldn't have gone... Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. They might have done it during end of business hours. Oh, it caught in flame. Oh, no. Right? Right, right, right. So the two men, the two owners, did have their day in court. They were charged with first and second degree manslaughter. Their defense was like, we didn't know it was locked. Like, we didn't know, we didn't know, we didn't know. And the burden of proof was on the prosecution to prove that the owners of this company did know that they were locking the door and that they were doing unsafe practices. But they were able to... They were able to create enough reasonable doubt that they didn't know that they weren't charged with first and second degree manslaughter. The lawyers, actually, the defense attorneys had the survivors keep repeating the story and they were, the survivors were saying the same thing over and over again, as you probably are. Like when you tell a story, you typically kind of repeat it, but their defense team was like, oh, they're memorizing it. They're rehearsed. It's like... Because yeah, whenever they're like, you know what was fishy to me is everybody told the same story about that night. And you're like, because it happened? Yeah, seriously, that's exactly like, what it was. It seems was. like they were getting together and what, living life? <laughs> like, it's so confusing. How else do you explain the whole building went on fire and my friends died? How else do you explain that? <laughs> So they were found liable in a wrongful death suit. So they were they were acquitted of the first and second degree manslaughter, but they were found liable in a wrongful death suit. And they had to pay the families of the victims $75 each. Are you fucking kidding me? Wait, it gets worse. However, however, the insurance company for the burnt building paid them $60,000. So they... Which is about... They profited. They profited. No. They profited. Are you kidding? No. No. They profited. They paid $75. No one's around they paid doing that They paid $75 per victim. They got paid $400 per victim. What kind of world do we live in? Capitalism. <laughs> it's so gross. That's so upsetting. Disgusting. Unbelievable. In the two owners separated and they went on and continued to work in this industry. In fact, Blank in 1913, he was found that he was locking the doors again to the exits. Blank? He I'm was gonna fined, blank you. He was fined a whopping $20. That's chump change with all the money he's profiting. Like I said before, when this happened, it was a tragedy. In New York City. I mean, it was, it tr- at the time, it was the most deadliest workplace disaster. Hundreds of thousands of people came and protested working conditions. Unions started, you know, building in popularity because part of the reason also he was locking the door is he didn't want any union bus, he didn't want any unionizers coming in and trying to unionize his factory. Wow. So after this incident, there were huge improvements in working conditions. Unless you worked for blank. Unless you worked for fucking blank. Yeah. He fought... Before this, there was, like, a cap on work weeks, and he fought it tooth and nail. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
New York legislature created the Factory Investigating Commission. There were 38 new laws that regulated labor. There were new laws that mandated fire safety, extinguishers, alarms, sprinklers that be put in all factories, which why this is why all factories must have a sprinkler system. The amount of people bearing witness to this event is astounding and completely changed the trajectory of our history, frankly. There was a woman, Frances Perkins. Frances Perkins was in a cafe across the street when this fire broke out and she bore witness to the mass chaos and horrible death of all of these people. She made it her life's work to improve conditions. And 22 years later, she became the first female secretary or female cabinet member under FDR. She worked as the US Secretary of Labor and she served 12 years, which is the longest anyone has ever served in that position. She served from 1933 to 1945. So she was a part of the New Deal. She also helped build a social security program. She was the first female cabinet member. Incredible, but all because she witnessed this horrifying act and decided to fucking do something about it and make change. The building is now owned by NYU. It's called the Brown Building. Um, The top three floors are offices, so people work in that space. And people sometimes feel like the, the space is closing in on them. Sometimes they smell smoke. In the seventh, eight, or the eighth, ninth, and tenth floor, when people go to lock the exit at the end of the night, they'll go back and it's unlocked, like someone's unlocking someone's it. Like, let's better safe than sorry. Truly, people will be working and they'll see like something big f- on a window, like something's falling, and they'll look out and nothing is there. Whoa, that's so scary. Um, there's also a light in front of the building that just keeps flickering, and this the tour guide was like, ever since I've been here, and he went to NYU, he's like that flickers every day, this light. This one light just flickers in front of the building. Um, There was a girl, there was a woman who was working late at night and she was walking and she sees a woman and she's like burned and sort of dazed looking and just like kind of like limping away and she turned around and there was no one there. Um, The last living survivor died in 2001, February of 2001 at 107 years old. She was able to go to the roof with the executives, and she became a lifelong supporter of unions. Another creepy fact is 79 years to the day after this fire, there was um, at Happy Land Social Club in the Bronx, that there was a fire that killed 87 people. So to the day, there was another fire wow. that broke out that killed 87 people in the Bronx. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory tragedy is the deadliest workplace disaster in New York City up until September 11th. Wow. You have a fire escape. I do have a fire escape. I don't. I think, but you have windows you could jump down. From the third, do you think? What would I do if I was on my third floor with Griff and there was a fire? What would I do? Got any suggestions? I think we should make a plan. We should get that pulley system finally. You'd like, what I would do is you would like put him in a shirt, tuck him in so he's like attached to you. And I feel like you would scale down or you would jump and try to hold him. 
third floor. I think we would... No, you'd be badly injured. Badly injured. But I think also, what I would do if I were you, is I would go either to the back, to that landing, like, to see if that, if that, what you know. Mm-hmm. But that's why we have fire alarms, so you know if something's happening. You hear an alarm in the boys' place or on the second floor, so you know what's going on. It's like, these people had no... You know what? They say that daylight savings is a good time to remember to go through your house and change all those batteries. Smart. So I'm going to just go ahead and say, uh, that was a few weeks ago, but go ahead and, uh, folks. Go ahead and change those batteries. Let's let's all make a commitment to check on those smoke alarm, carbon monoxide alarm batteries today. Let's just do it. It's going to take two seconds. We're all going to feel a little better. Crazy story, huh? Fucking crazy. Fucking sad. And it's in Washington Square Park. You can see it. Well, thanks for telling it. You're welcome. Now a word from our sponsors. <gasps> Who said humor had to be clean? Or buttoned up. For <laughs> or that buttoned matter. up for that matter. There's this amazing website called Smartass and Sass, and it's a subscription box made for people like you and me. I'm looking at this amazing necklace that's a cleaver that says, I'll cut you. I like the don't fuck up the table coasters. I think those would make really good gifts. I actually want that for my mom. Oh, yeah. I love that. For a big box, you can also subscribe and get a fun t-shirt and a bunch of snarky items for just $50. I'm Um, sorry, Quinn. $49.95. Oh, you're so right. Each of those boxes is going to have the shirt, seven to nine unique items, that's basically $90 for, as Carrie said, $49.95. Thanks, Carrie. Go to www.smartassandsass.com and use code DARK for 10% off your first subscription. Because this is like the perfect gift when you're like, all right, I got the big gift, but I'd like to give them something that'll make them laugh and smile and that'll surprise them. Go to Smartass and Sass, use the code DARK for 10% off. It's going to be a blast. Hey, we're back. Or are we? Or are we talking from the past? Because we're super safe with Birdie. <laughs> Birdie, you guys, Birdie envisions a world where women can be safe, where they can uh, walk down the street and just uh, do their thing, not really worry about... Uh... Can I tell you something, actually, about Birdie? I was in Chicago with a friend, and she had a really cute purple Birdie. They didn't have that color when I bought mine, or mm-hmm. my mom bought me mine for Christmas. It was this really cute lavender Birdie, and I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. Where'd you get it? She goes, my sister gave it to me. She goes, she had a really scary experience. This guy was fucking following her from the train, her sister. And she kept walking and this guy was still fucking following her. And she went up to this guy who was in her neighborhood who was like putting trash out. And she went up to him and she was like, can I please stand by you? There's a man following me. He's like, yes, come this way. After that happened to her, she bought a birdie. And she bought one for her sister and she bought one for her whole family. That's so smart. Get a birdie for yourself. Get a birdie for your friend. Get a birdie for your daughter. And get a birdie for your son. I think, like, everybody can have a birdie. I carry mine on my bike so that if something happens, I just pull it. So smart. It sets off a strobe light. It has, like, a really loud noise. It's just going to, even if you never use it, which hopefully you are never going to use it, um, except at a weird sound rave or something but it's totally if, i hope you don't have to use it but you're gonna feel better if you have it so get one today and use the promo code tdc10 you get 10 percent off it's a no-brainer we love you stay safe and um bye birdie and we're back <laughs> we missed you did you miss us not that much keep it to yourself 
I'm going to be doing. Oh, so here. Uh, I don't know if you remember because it's been a while since we recorded. But one of the last times we recorded, I told you the story of Brian Schaefer. And he was the guy that went into the bar and never came out. Yeah. Right. Remember. At one point, I was like, oh, they kind of tossed around the idea that yes. he was a smiley face killer victim. So I'm going to tell you the story of the smiley face Thank killers. You. Okay, yeah, you're good. welcome. Um, I got some of this information um, by The Art of Reading, dear readers. I read, Have you heard of it? Heard of it. <laughs> I read things on Wikipedia, Tennessee Star by Joshua Gill, Daily Beast by Nicole Wisensi, Wise, by Nicole Egan, Cosmopolitan. <laughs> It's just, she doesn't Please get both stop. names. If you can't stop. say one, you just skip. Stop. That's so funny. Nicole is Egan. She's got like two last names. Just gonna just use the one I can. One. Is that okay? That she knows really she funny. wrote it. <laughs> but our dear readers don't. That's so funny. <laughs> giving up so quick. <laughs> Egan. <laughs> Cosmopolitan by Hannah Chambers and a heavy article by Jessica McBride. Here's the main thing I did. I watched a six-part docu-series on oxygen. So you lied. You said oxygen. you got it from reading and you didn't. I mostly watched it. It was an oral, not an oral. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um... I watched this six-part docuseries on oxygen that was called Smiley Face Killers. Ah, what was it about? Oh, (laughs) I'm not, no spoilers, no spoilers. It was about the, it was a cooking show. (laughs) Really, they should think of a better name. It's not very good branding. It's very strange. Not what I was expecting at all. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you the story of a young man named Dakota James. Great name. Um, December 15th in 2016, this gal, Shelly, who's friends with Dakota, gets a call from him. And he's a young guy in his 20s, recently came out of the closet, and he's been out for the night. He's crying, and he sounds panicked, and he sounds like he doesn't know what's going on a little bit. And he says, I don't know where I am. I'm so cold. Please help me. I'm lost. She gets very freaked out and she's like, where are you? I'll come get you. And he's like, I'm on the north side. They're in Pittsburgh. He says, I'm on the north side. And she starts to drive that way and then is like, wait a minute. We were like coordinating an airport pickup together recently and we did the share location thing. Right. So I'm going to just get on my phone and figure out where he is. And what's weird is he's actually on the south side. And, like, he knows Pittsburgh. They're not tourists. Um, Anyway, he's also sending her erratic texts during her drive, a picture of his leg that says, I'm here. And please help me. I'm so cold. The cops won't help me. She's like, hey, I think that you're on the south side, maybe near the Spring Hill Suites. And he just texts back, I'm here, like, arrow, arrow. I honestly don't know, is what he texts. She gets there really fast, like 10 minutes, and it's like 1130 at night. She pulls up to this hotel that the pin is near, and something strikes her as kind of weird, which is there's an SUV on the same block, but it's pointed against traffic the wrong way. 
She sees Dakota walk out of the hotel and straight toward the SUV. And she yells, Dakota. And he looks up and kind of sees her and just gets in the car. Super emotional, but doesn't seem drunk. Oh, my God. So many questions. Hey, what's going on? And he seems kind of almost like cagey about it. Doesn't want to talk about it. Doesn't seem to know what's going on. He says that what happened is that he kind of looked up like as though waking, like became conscious of where he was and was like, I'm walking down the street. And was like, and I don't know why or where. I don't know how I got here. Did he have here. his phone with him? Yeah, that's when he called her. Basically. No, I know, but like, was the phone still with him? That's so insane. The last thing he remembers before like that come to moment is that he was leaving a Christmas party. On the north and side? He was going, yeah. And he, he was going to bars with coworkers. And that was around 7.15. Between then and the coming to around 11-something, total blank. Whoa. He's completely freaked out. I mean, so she. And then get this. Five weeks after this incident, Dakota disappears. (gasps) There's no sign of him. Forty days go by. And a woman that's walking her dog sees his body in the Ohio River. No. And it's ruled an accidental drowning by the medical examiner's office. And then, well, here's what I want to tell you. This team of retired detectives are like, I don't fucking think so. And they think that Dakota was one of many young men. That was killed by an underground, follow me here for a minute, organized gang, basically a group of serial killers whose moniker is a smiley face, and that is why they're called the smiley, the smiley face killers. And this team of detectives that thinks this says that these killers are all on the dark web communicating, okay? Let me tell you about the detective team that thinks this. So the main investigators on the team are Anthony Duarte and Kevin Gannon. Gannon used to be NYPD. He's gotten like a hundred fucking medals. Bravery, one of the most highly valued members of the special investigative division at the detective bureau. He retired in 2001. Duarte was Department of Homeland Security. He was a manager there, and then he also was an NYPD second-grade detective. And he's been awarded... Second-grade detective? No relation to kindergarten cop. Who the fuck stole the artwork? (laughs) (laughs) So he's been awarded excellence in police duty awards, commendations, all kinds of things. I'm just trying to tell you that these guys are legit. But they're not too legit to quit. They're both retired. <laughs> well, they did they quit, though, because they're now on an underground team? Well, that's the thing. They started this team. They are too legit to quit. They just got to keep going. <laughs> they got to keep going. You're right. Um, they have other people that work for them. Um, Donovan is like a retired NYPD detective that he specializes in interrogation. Then they have Gilbertson, who's um, got 
a degree in criminal justice and works at a gang research center. So I'm just trying to give you a picture of like the people working on this are it's not armchair detectives. It's detective detectives like these people know what they're doing. Yes. And have good, excellent resumes. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss resumes. Why did they start doing it? Um, I don't know for all of them. I know that for Gannon, in 1997, he was a detective here in New York, and he was investigating the disappearance of a young man named Patrick McNeil, who was 20 when he vanished, and he had gone out with friends on the Upper East Side. His body was found two months later in the East River near Bay Ridge, and they were like, this is a drowning, but the manor's undetermined. Oh, dang. When he was... Looking into this, some witnesses told him that a man and a woman were double parked outside the bar that Patrick was at, and that when Patrick walked out and started walking, they were doing that thing where they were inching along in a car, like following him. He turned left. So did they. It's just creepy. He would have had to walk a bunch of blocks and climb over a fence. They think that he, like, walked a bunch, climbed over a fence to pee, fell in the water kind of thing. But it's like, why would he do that? That's not what a drunk guy does to pee. You just pee on a wall. You're not like, let me find a really great place to pee. But maybe he was, yeah, that's... Wow. And like Harbor Patrol was like, if he did fall in, that's not where the body would have ended up. This kind of thing. Then when he's looking into this, he gets spooked because in the next um, 15 months, two more young men the same age disappear in New York. Both bodies found in the water. And Gannon's like, this is weird. I want to start to look into this more. And when he's digging, he's finding a bunch of cases where men this age are out, are found in the water. And every time he looks into the case, something feels really off. But there's a ridiculous number of these cases. There's a fuckload. There's way too many for it to be the same killer, but he still has this, like, weird feeling that they are related somehow. He believes in this shit to a degree where he's, like, mortgaging his home, maxing out his credit cards. He is putting all his resources into just trying to solve these cases. And the smiley face show I watched is these detectives, this core group of detectives looking into these cases. They did the show because they're basically like... We want to reopen a bunch of these cases. We want our smiley face killer theory to get some support so we can, you know, look into it. We need publicity to generate support from law enforcement, basically. For sure. So in all their work, this group of detectives have found, like I said, a ton of cases like this in the late 1990s to 2010s of these, quote, accidental drownings. What they think is that the smiley face killers are the ones behind it. We're talking like a hundred deaths. The profile of the victims is what is one of the commonality threads here. They're all white males, athletic. What one of the detectives said is 
they're targeting the best of the best. These kids are the best students, they're the best athletes, and they come from the best families. A lot of them are STEM, are going towards STEM professions. Um, we're talking like 40 engineers, doctors, lawyers, criminal justice students. They say that they are out with friends usually, somehow get separated, and are later found in a body of water. Well, I think the other thing, too, that's interesting is, like, a similar po- these, like, accidental deaths that are in water, there's no justification of, like, suicide, right? It's like you can't... No, it wouldn't... None of them... None of that... That's almost never what's even suspected. It's right. what they're trying to... What most of the cases end up looking like is that the cops say, this was a person out drinking... They fell in a body of water. They got separated. They got lost. They went to pee. They went to take a call. Whatever they were doing, they went to this body of water and fell in. But they're never calling it foul play. What is hard is, like, what's the motive, right? And they're kind of painting it as a picture of it's because it's all these young guys that are... um, looking at bright futures it's like a jealousy thing or something it's like these are successful kids that someone is jealous of and doing this to them the cases are all over the place massachusetts wisconsin new york but they always when they look to where the bodies are found they find graffiti of a smiley face before you think it's like the same smiley face let me be clear I saw them. They're all different. Some are have the circle around them. Some are just the smile and eyes. They're different colors. They're different sizes. Some have crowns on them. Some are just smiley faces, which the reason that the detectives say it's different every time is that, again, this is a gang it's thing. It's different people, yeah. And so it's not going to be a serial killer saying, this is my signature. It's a gang. They also say that they have 12 other distinct symbols and that they're very specific. They won't talk about it because they're concerned there'll be copycat killings or something. They don't want to make it public, these detectives that are looking into it, because they say it'll screw us up in in tracking whether this is the gang or not. Right. Um, What they say is that this gang, the Smiley Face Killers are on the dark web and that they use that to recruit other killers to choose their victims and to organize killing them. That there are kind of all these different cells. So imagine there's a cell of 12 of these killers and they're going to go out one night and five of them are going to go out and kill someone. But it's extremely organized is what they say. Okay. Like we're going to drive this car. You're going to you're going to be in charge of drugging this person. We're going to drive the car around the block. You're going to push them in the car. We're going to drive here. It's it would have to be. It happens in the blink of an eye. These people disappearing. It is fast. It makes sense that Brandon Schaefer would be right. Brandon Schaefer. Uh huh. It makes sense that he would be because he disappeared like out of the reason he doesn't fit the profile is that his body was never found all these men are found and they're found sometimes months even later but always in water the presumed idea behind that is to get rid of evidence i guess yeah one of the detectives said they're constantly recruiting and that years ago we got on the dark web or on a web page and it asked us to turn on a video camera so they could see who it was 
and put in a password and we didn't turn on the camera. We didn't want them to see us, but also we don't know the password, but we were told this was a URL to get on this site. Mm -hmm. And that it's how they communicate. Another thing all the men have in common, I was talking about them being drugged and Mm -hmm. this kind of goes along with the profile of what happened to Dakota, right? Um, They find GHB in a lot of them. Well, in 30 to 40 of them. I'll say they found GHB in their system. And they still think it was accidental? Well, so, okay. GHB, there is some in all of us. Like, so it's about levels. And they're seeing a level that it would be something like date rape drug style. Yeah. Where these men are maybe being drugged. That goes along with a bunch of cases because they have footage from a case where a guy was at uh, a baseball game. A hockey game, maybe. A hockey game. And his girlfriend was coming by to pick him up. Like, he called her and was like, I want to get out of here. She drives by to pick him up, and he's gone. And we have video footage of him kind of stumbling out of the game. He had had two beers. And he's walking in a way that he's impaired. You're The blackout that Dakota had. And he was found dead in a body of water later, that guy? Uh-huh. uh-huh. She came to pick him up, and he just wasn't there. <gasps> Oh my it's God. lots of stuff like that where it's, I'm telling you, well, I'll talk about what I think at the end. I want to go back to Dakota. His death is ruled an accidental drowning, like we said. And this medical examiner, um, Dr. Cyril Wecht on the show looks at him and says, the decomposition does not fit. The amount of. Does not fit the someone amount of time. that was in the water for yeah. this long. Seven weeks. The mom is like, he doesn't have any marks on his body. That would, he supposedly floated in the river and went through a dam to get to the part of the river he was in. Like the body went through all these things. There's no marks. It just doesn't make sense. It looks like he was placed in the river. Right. The volunteer swift water rescuers also agree that the body wouldn't be in that good of shape if it went through a dam. So a bunch of people are like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. They look at the autopsy report and they see something that was never logged in the report, which is ligature marks on the neck. Um, They didn't remark on it, I guess, on the autopsy report because looking at the interior of the neck, it doesn't seem like, like they're like, we can't, there wasn't a bunch of damage. Right. But there's also pooled blood in the fingers, which would be consistent with someone. If someone went to choke you, you defensively clawing at the thing they're choking you with. They send a homicide detective to the medical examiner's office to look, and they conclude there's no ligature marks. The detective says that it's just dried blood that was washed off during the autopsy. Like, oh, that mark you see, that's dried blood. We then washed it off. But that's also weird because if the body was in the water for 40 days wouldn't dried blood be washed off i don't know basically gannon's like look there's enough weird shitty things here you should take another look at this please reopen the case um one of the weird things that they can't answer for is that days after he disappeared there was a paypal a paypal transaction after he vanished that's very weird so weird a paypal 
it's so weird. So a lot of people are really skeptical about this theory because it feels like the smiley face locations are based on guesses of where the body entered the water. Um, it's not a very unique symbol, obviously. They don't have proof of when the smiley faces were painted, right? So they could be, they could have been there totally, for years. Totally. Um, there's no evidence of victim trauma in a lot of cases. Um, homicidal drownings rare. I don't think that the detectives are necessarily saying that the people took these men and drowned them, though. No. It feels like they drugged them and something else happened and then they dropped them in the water. Yeah. Um, but because it happens at night and it happens around bars and there's alcohol involved a lot of times, that seems to be the the fast and easy answer for these wow. rulings. Um, only one of these cases has so far been changed to a homicide. Wow. And that was Chris Jenkins, a 21-year-old that went to University of Minnesota, who's at a Minnesota bar, vanished on December Vanished on November 1st, 2002, four months later was found in the Mississippi River. And he was like this when they found him on his back with his arms uh, crossed like you Whoa. would place a body. Um, and that that was classified accidental drowning, but was was eventually changed to homicide. Why did they change it to homicide? Um, I think these guys did it. Wow. Um I so I watched six of these stories each episode. This is season one, and they're like, Here are these six men that we think were victims, and Whoa. they take you through what happened with each one of them. And always they're like, And here's the smiley face, and we think it was a smiley face killer, and here's what was weird about the death. Um, I'm telling you that. Having watched six of them, and I'm sure they're going to do another season with six more and six more and six more. My impression is they absolutely proved to me in all six cases that there was foul play. This was not an accident. This was foul play. I am not. I am not convinced, at least yet, that it's a gang that they're related. Yeah. But I am totally convinced they were all misseen as accidents, misruled, uh, misdiagnosed, however you say. And they were actually something else going on every single time. But they weave these stories where you're like, well, in this case, it seemed like the guy had an altercation with someone at this hockey game or didn't like someone there that might have roofied him and they got in a fight and then nabbed him. There was one of the guys seemed to be telling people he was scared of his friends because... They had an underground gun thing they were doing that he got involved in. And shit goes down with him and you're like, well, he knew too much and somebody went after him. You definitely each time get a picture painted where oh, you're like, this person was killed. What I'm not seeing is the relationship of the smiley other face. Than it, it, feels being... like a, it feels like an easy catch-all of the smiley face killer. But I think really what it is is, yeah, these are these are miscategorized deaths as accidental. And that to me is really interesting and compelling because it's not, it just feels like it's like a little bow, like, Oh, it's when in doubt, it's a smiley face killer. Yeah. Right? A little bit. Yeah. It feels very conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. very sinister, very provocative to say that there is a group of serial killers meeting online and they're in charge of all these deaths. The motive of, 
look at these young, successful... Well, that would require them to know about them, right? Like, when you see people at a bar like that, like, I'm... I'm feeling... Yeah, no. I get that it... And I also... The young, successful thing, I'm not totally won over by either in the sense that, like, any young man in... Of that age, let's say, like 20 Has to 25. Has a future because they're young. <laughs> a lot of them, the picture that we paint is like, this person was taken before their time. It reminds me of like Dateline shows that are like, he loved life. You know, like live, laugh, love. Like, <laughs> well, it is funny, right? Never, Everybody never be- a cruel word toward anyone. <laughs> Here's a picture of him holding like a pet bunny, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. They're all that guy, and they all were taken before well, their time. Young, they're all young. So every single one, you go, yes, this is horribly sad, and yes, they all had promising futures. Do I believe that it's a serial killer going? We've got to pick another young man that has a promising future. It's like I, I that is too much for me. Well, it makes it feel more intentional. Like the, if there's five friends out, we're going to pick this one, and it's like it could could it have just been any one of them. I think what's scary about it is that they're not related. And I actually think that's a scarier story because I think that when I was watching these six cases, I said, yeah, every single time somebody killed this guy for sure. Something fishy's going on and somebody killed him. But I think what's maybe sadder is that it's not related because then you go, this happens. This is very scary that this happens. And it seems like a lot of the time that it happened there's no known enemy. There's no known infraction. Oh, it's that, there's like, no known fight that happened. that feels more chilling, right? The randomness of it, right? The yeah. like, I do think people, when it's nonsensical like this, people like to separate themselves from it and like to look at moments or points that like make us different than them so that we don't think it'll happen to us, right? Like, I do think that that's a very natural thing to do when tragedy like this occurs. It feels very scary because it definitely felt like it could happen to anybody. Um, But there were cases in these six where one of them, the mom said he knew something was going to happen to him. He was scared. He was trying to move. Like, I don't, that's why I also don't see the common thread because I go, some of these guys were involved in something scary or suspecting someone. Some of these guys, um, I think, got roofied and killed. By someone they had a fight with at a bar. I mean, anything. Did you hear, by the way, did you hear that there's this new thing I just saw on the Twitter that because of bars and, like, women are being more careful with their drinks, you know, there's, like, there's lids and stuff. Women are just more cautious about getting drugged. That at bars now, people are injecting women with GHB, like, using needles and syringes, like, the back of their legs or something so they can't feel it or, like... To, like, inject oh them. Oh, my God. That's so scary. Yeah. Quinn's face is slapped on. <laughs> like, the fuck? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, are you really serious? Like, yeah. do we really just have to stay inside? <laughs> All right. I'll do it. Quince. Twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> she said no, from her beanbag like... in a sweatsuit. <laughs> I think it was in in the UK where they're like, it's getting bad out there. Like, men are finding more, because women are getting wiser and, like, being really cautious and all that stuff. It's fucking crazy. And then they're getting smarter about how they fucking come after mm-hmm. us. Well, you know, I, I, it happens, this story of this stuff happening to men, I wonder 
if it happens to women so much more frequently that we don't even need a theory like smiley face killer because we're like, oh, uh, no, men just do that. To men, women. Just do- men just drug and kill women at a level where there's no way that we even need a conspiracy theory because we just know that that's how that goes. That's well, just was, too many people's hobby. It was interesting. I, I mean, I think we've all had those stories, whether it's a personal story or someone we know has told us. But I remember chatting with this woman and she was talking about how she's like, yeah, I fell asleep um, on the train and I went all the way to Coney Island and like I fell asleep and I was like, that's so crazy. And she's like, yeah, and I only had two drinks. And I looked at her and I was like, you only had two drinks and you fell asleep. And she's like, yeah. And it was this moment where she didn't want to like, and I go, have you thought about, and she goes, yeah, I just don't want to like think about that. Like there's this like, and this is no fault of her at all right it's like because she was out with friends with friends she knew everyone there and then she passed out and I think for her mind she was like I can't think about that actually because could it have been someone she knew could it, that could did have been it? Someone she knew, like and she and she got mugged like someone put something in her drink so after that I was like what if I created like a google map sort of like layer where if you got roofied at a place at a location you could list it. Like, what if there was an interactive map of women to realize, like, what bars that it's happening at? As, like, and you you don't know who did it, but you're like, I think I got drugged here. I think I got drugged here. Like, mm-hmm. this happened to people in my life where also where they're like, I didn't drink a lot, but I ended up in the wrong apartment, like, in my apartment con. Like, just weird shit where they're like, I can't, mm-hmm. I've lost time, and I know I didn't drink that much. Like, mm-hmm. I know I didn't drink that much. Did you see I May Destroy You? No. Wow, you really need to watch it. I think you would love it. Yeah. It's really well done. I know. It's on my list. I just also know it's like hard. It's a hard watch, but you know what? It's not a hard watch in the sense that it's, it's, it's very slice of life. And in being such, there are a lot of happy moments in it and a lot of funny moments in it. And it is... It is everything wrapped yeah. into one, and that's why it's yeah. so good. I, I do think there is this thing of women where sometimes we just deny ourselves that truth because it's so hard. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you just wouldn't leave your house. Do you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> it's too scary. Because it's too scary. Sure. Well, on that um, note, <laughs> dear readers, do me a favor and review, like, and review us. Yeah, like and review us on Apple. Um, if you send me your review, if you show me your review. On truly darkly creepy, send it to Gmail. I'll send you back a picture of um, the poop sticker <laughs> as a thank you. By the way, I think we Is that should a good do. Trade? I think we should do an AMA. Ask me anything. I think we should do like a, you and I should do that either on Patreon or speaking of Patreon, you should join that. But Put it on the to do list. AMA. Start an MLM. What other <laughs> TTYL? TTFN. You know, Tata for now. Oh, fun, cute Lilas. Love you like a sister. You know, <laughs> and I think that's the truth of it. Frankly, <laughs> the, why should you join Patreon? Well. That's complicated, and I don't have time to talk about it. But we do have extra episodes monthly. So many right now. So I think many. If you want, like, 20 more episodes, <laughs> join. Join. We love you. Bye, dear readers. Goodbye, dear readers. Bye, dear readers.